millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath I'm your host, Jem Daducci, and this time round, we're doing The Vinland Saga, which is both a manga and an anime series. And as soon as I say those two words, manga and anime, you're going to think, okay, this is going to be unpronounceable names, incomprehensible plot, probably some extreme violence, big stompy robots maybe, cyberpunk, psychics, teenagers with floppy hair, lots of screaming... And, okay, some of those things do appear in this, but most of them don't, because the fascinating thing about Vinland Saga is it's based on 13th century Icelandic Scandinavian sagas, you know, the ones with the Vikings in. It's it's weird. It's really, really weird. But it allows me to talk a bit about the world of anime and manga, which I have to be honest, every time I do an episode on it, it's not the most listened to episode. So please, please bear with me on this one, because we're going to get into some really interesting history about the creation of England and its interaction with the Viking, in inverted commas, civilization. So you may not know the Vinland Saga, but literally the Vinland Sagas are a real historical series of sagas and records from Iceland in the Middle Ages. So this absolutely will go into an area that you should at least have a passing familiarity with and therefore will allow me to share some really cool history that I've always loved and I don't get very often an opportunity to talk about it. The kind of Viking era, the Anglo-Saxon era of England, it doesn't really get an awful lot of screen time. Yes, there's been the Vikings Kingdom, there's been the Last Kingdom as well. Those two series absolutely do go around England, but that's the peak of interest over the last 50 years. Prior to that, you've got to go back to something like Kirk Douglas's The Vikings. It's interesting that Vikings are incredibly cool. Almost, It's one of these eras of history almost everybody's heard of, including the Horn Helmets, which is not a real thing. But it doesn't get an awful lot of coverage in pop culture. This is something that seems to hang around in our brains since we were at junior school or you know, kids' school. And it is weird that the Vikings are considered child-friendly, but the Mongol Empire isn't, and yet they're both extremely violent. 
Right, okay, but we're starting with something Japanese. The Vinland Sago. And Makuto Yakimura started reading decades ago about Scandinavian history from the first millennium AD. And in particular, what caught his attention was Olaf Tryggvason. And Olaf Tryggvason is a name I haven't been able to say on this podcast ever before. And yet it was something that I was learning when, in Britain, between the ages of 15 and 16, you have to do GCSEs. These are your first set of really important exams in your life. And sometimes one of the optional choices is history. And nowadays you can still do a history GCSE. However, I'm one of the last people who was able to do a medieval GCSE. And Olaf was in it. And I've always kind of admired him. And clearly, so did Makuto Yakamura. And it's triggered in his brain something that led to him, like so many of these things, starting a manga. A comic series, which has been running since 2005. So, at time of recording, we're cracking on for about 20 years. And it's still going. And he hasn't quite finished the story yet. And the problem is that while it's called the Vinland Saga, and clearly it is heavily influenced partly by the Vinland Saga, but certainly by that kind of Viking society, we don't quite know where he's going with it, because he's wildly different in terms of plot points and characters of the actual, real, original Vinland Sagas. Now, in his case, the protagonist is Thorfinn, and Thorfinn lives in Iceland, and he's got this crazy old friend of the family who's Leif Erikson. Ooh, and Leif Erikson is the guy who, in history, is credited as the Viking who came to North America. Now, even in, interestingly, the Vinland Sagas, it doesn't actually say that. It says that another unnamed person got there first, but it inspired Leif Erikson. In essence, the first person was blown to America by accident, wasn't planning on going there, and reported back going, oh, there's more land even further west. And so Leif was the first person to send an expedition out there. And indeed, in the Vinland sagas, there are two of them. And there's the saga of the Greenlanders. And there's the saga of Eric the Red. And they are contradictory. And some of it's clearly fantastical. But they both agree that Leif Erikson is doing a lot of stuff in North America. And they call North America Vinland, because they actually find some grapes there. Wine, Wineland, land of the wine. So that's Vin, wine, bitter Scandinavian there. So what this leads to is a period of unknown amount of time, but certainly generations of Scandinavians actually having settlements in North America. And in the 1960s, the evidence was found. This has been much talked about, but you needed to find some hard evidence, and they found it. The reality is, if you look at the map, it is harder to get from Iceland to Greenland than it is to get from Greenland to North America. So if you can do one, you can certainly do the other, and to do any of that stuff, 
and to ply a trade across the North Atlantic, you're going to need some very durable ships. Fortunately, we actually have some archaeological evidence of that. More on that later on. The point is, the original sagas are all about the interaction with North America. That's kind of the jumping-off point of the anime and the mangas. And what they actually spend most of the time on is the politics in England, as you have people like Canute ruling England, which is part of a great North Atlantic empire, with various shenanigans and double crosses and things like that. What I'm going to say is, if you haven't seen this, and this sounds interesting, Makuto Yukimura is obviously done his homework. A group of artists have clearly been to the Viking Ship Museum in Oslo in Norway, and they've seen the Gokstad ship and things like that. They have paid attention to the archaeological evidence of the time, because it all looks really accurate. They've done a great job of bringing to life Viking Northern Europe. The interesting thing, though, is it still has the anime tropes, which you've got people sort of screaming, you've got fountains of blood when somebody's hit, you've got the floppy-haired blonde teenager who's lost a dad. I'm so glad my two boys aren't anime characters, because I so would be dead by now. They would be avenging my death to my nemesis, whoever that is. The biggest cause of death in literature, I think, is you're the parents of the protagonist. It's tough being a parent, is all I can say. So yeah, there are lots of tropes in it. And of course, for animation purposes, something that's been going on in Japanese animation forever, which has become something quite pleasing to the eye and been mimicked in even higher budgeted animations, is this idea of a still picture but with a moving background behind it, quite often an almost surreal background of almost sun rays, something like that. And the fact is that because you've got the character moving across, usually their face in a rictus howl, and you've got the dubber going, something like that. The point is that isn't being animated 24 frames a second. That is a still picture that is moving across the screen. So the argument is it's still motion, and it's the background that's moving, but it does, in its own weird way, give a sense of kinetic energy to it. It looks really impressive, even though it's much, much cheaper than somebody actually animating the person leaping through the air. As soon as I describe that, obviously I'm having a tough time here describing a visual medium on an audio medium, but hopefully you know what I mean. As I'm describing that, you've probably got lots of examples in your mind. The wonderfully weird thing about Vinland Saga is I'm sitting there going, oh, wow, you know, they've done a great job with the longhouses. And, oh, my God, the textiles of what they're wearing is incredible. Oh, the ironworking, it's amazing. And yet at the same time, you've got these bits which you might recognize from Akira or Attack on Titan, etc., etc. And so it's this weird fusion of the two. Which leads me on to the other conversation I have with my eldest son, who actually introduced me to this. And he sort of said, I think you'll like this one, Dad. And I have enjoyed it. I kind of got distracted by other things. I will come back to it at some point. But the other problem is he insists in listening to it in its original Japanese. Now, I, as I've said previously, I understand 
I get why people want to hear the original Japanese because the lip sync is better. The acting is as the director intended. It might be a bit different when it's an English language dub, for example. I generally prefer the dub, provided it's done well. Obviously, if it's done completely half-hearted, you're going to destroy the art in front of you. But fundamentally, animation is meant to be looked at. If I have to spend most of my time staring at the bottom quarter of the screen to understand what's going on, then that's almost missing the point of the animation. That's my argument there, which is why I will always listen to Akira, which has a really good English dub in English. I also get that if we're in downtown Tokyo, why are they all speaking English? It makes more immersive sense for them to be speaking Japanese. But here's the thing. They're in Europe. You've got all these Vikings speaking in Japanese, which makes no sense whatsoever. Here are a selection of actual Old Norse words that still exist in the English language. You probably never thought of any of these, what's their origin. You presumably presume that they were Latin, maybe French, but get a load of this variety of pretty important words. Ugly, run, dirt, slaughter, okay, that's kind of on brand for what you know about Vikings, bylaw, hell, husband, loan, reindeer, again, that kind of makes sense, skip, egg, give, bask, ball, weak, foot, leg, I mean, literally parts of your body are named after the Viking versions, happy, and of course, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So there are more, there are, there are loads more that I could mention, but the English language is a mongrel language. It's a mixture of Latin, French, and Norse. Bit of German in there as well. It makes more sense to listen to the dub than it does to have Vikings speaking Japanese. The other problem is the way Japanese is constructed. Japanese is considered one of the hardest languages to learn because they have three different alphabets or characters collections in some cases. Which ones do you use depends on the origin of the word. If it's truly a Japanese word, you'll be using a different set of characters to if it's a imported word into the Japanese language. So the Japanese language or characters that are used for foreign imports is called katakana. And just generally in Japanese, they do not like names ending in a consonant, apart from N. N is the only one that sounds right to a Japanese person, hence Nissan. Everything else, Tokyo, Sony, Mitsubishi, getting this now, they all end in vowels. And the problem with katakana is there are almost no consonant-only sounds. Virtually everything is a consonant plus a vowel. So it could be ka rather than k. It would be su rather than s. And so the problem is when they are translating these names, which you see on the screen, which are the correct Old Norse names for all these people, they don't sound like that in the dub. Knut is C-N-U-T. Knutsu, that's not his name, but that's how sometimes he's referred to. I'm not an expert in Japanese, but this is the insane situation where actually the dub is taking you further away from what you're seeing on the screen than if you listened to the 
foreign dub, i.e. the English dub, which would be historically more accurate, culturally more accurate, which, oh, just please stop listening to it in that way. Also, it's I just find it harder work to just sit there and read for 20 minutes rather than listen for 20 minutes. Anyway, slights aside there. The other thing, of course, is in the modern world of cultural appropriation, nobody's talking about Vinland Saga being cultural appropriation. Now, if a, let's say, French animation studio decided to do an entire story about Yesu Tokugawa, who founded the Tokugawa Shogun at an incredibly important period and violent period of Japanese history, and did it all in French, I'm pretty sure there'd be some people online getting rather upset about that. You know, how dare you, this is typical European imperialistic attitude, blah, blah, blah. And they would be right. But nobody's saying it the other way around. And while, yes, I think when it comes to cultural appropriation, I think a lot of people are just waiting to be offended. I find that offensive! I think it very much depends on why is it being done. Perhaps the classic example of, oh, just shut up. It was a case where a young woman was going on a prom and she had clearly an Asian silk style dress. Now, it was not the garbs of a priest or anything like that. It was just an Asian style and she was Caucasian. And there were a lot of people who started having a go at this poor teenage girl about oh, cultural appropriation. Why are you doing that? Why can't you wear a Western type of clothing? And she looked good in the dress. All she wanted to do was look nice for her prom and she ended up getting a load of grief online. That is just people being trolls online. However, if you take perhaps a religious icon from another culture and disrespect it or use it in a completely inappropriate context, then yeah, that's the bad side of cultural appropriation. You need to stop that. So what we've got here with Makuto Yakimura is he's, oh, by the way, notice there's vowels at the end of his name. He clearly loves the Vikings and he's doing it with a slight Japanese twist, but very reverential to the original material and history. And for that reason, I think most reasonable people will give it a pass. Although now I've said this, they may be angry from the internet. And all those angry letter writers, like disgusted from the Isle of Wight and mad from Hull, and outraged from Leeds and slightly annoyed from Berwick on Tweed. Starting to say we should cancel Vinland Saga, which would be really annoying because people in Japan have been waiting for 20 years for this thing to wrap up, okay? And like I say, they can't just read the original sagas. They went in a different direction. As I segue into the historical side of stuff, I'm going to say, as always, please click subscribe. Please put a review up, something like that. Really, really helps people find us. I'm at Gemdaduchi on Twitter and threads. Say hello to me there. Perhaps a Check me out on threads because I've got a handful of followers only there. Lonely, I'm Mr. Lonely. I have nobody. I've got far more people on on Twitter or X or whatever we want to call it now. I don't know. And so, yes, feel free to give me ideas or say that you like that one or ask further questions. I love talking to people who are interested in the podcast. Right, let's move over to some history. First of all, I've said this before, so I'm going to go through this really quickly. Well, I've said these two things before. First of all, technically, there's no such thing as a Viking. The Viking is the Scandinavian, the Old Norse for a wanderer. So 
you might be Danish, but then you get in a ship with your mates, go over to northern France, pillage for a summer, come back again with some loot and some slaves. You were Viking. You were going out on a wander, on a, on a mission. But once you're back home, you're Sven the pig farmer. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Or whatever. Technically, we shouldn't use the term Viking. I'm going to use it because everybody knows what it is. Secondly, the sagas. Again, I've said this before. There's the big debate. The Vinland sagas, for example, were written down in the 13th century in Iceland. And we know that they were written down by Christian monks. By the first millennium AD, the majority, it seems, of Scandinavians were now moving towards Christianity. The old gods still existed, but they were fading away. So by the time you get to the 1200s, 13th century, everybody's Christian in Iceland. So the question is, are they writing down accurate oral traditions about what happened? And that's why they're so bloody, because the Vikings liked it to be a bit gory. Remember, they invented the word slaughter and berserk, for the record. Or is this a case of Christians trying to show pagans as being unnecessarily fixated with blood? I don't have an answer. Nobody has an answer. But that's the challenge people have. That's what we have to think about when we're reading these things. And you do get examples where the sagas fill in gaps where we have no history, like Vinland. We know nothing about what actually happened in North America apart from the sagas. Sometimes the sagas are talking about real countries and real places, 
and we can compare it. And sometimes it's a bit fantastical, sometimes it stacks up. But a great example would be Ragnar Lothbrok, who is very much a legendary type character in Viking sagas. Think of him as like a King Arthur of England. Mythological, lots of stories written about them, doesn't fit into history. Ragnar's a great example of this as well, because Ragnar went raiding with the Vikings. He was apparently one of the first people to lead a Viking raid to England. That certainly happened historically, but interestingly, Ragnar Lothbrok meets his maker by angering the king of Northumbria. There genuinely was a kingdom of Northumbria in northern England. At the time, this would make sense. His name was King Ella. There's never been a King Ella of Northumbria. We've got the records of the kings of Northumbria. And, critically, Ragnar was killed by being thrown into a pit of snakes in England. In England, we have one type of snake, the adder, which its bite is about as bad as a, as a bee sting. And never in British history has a pit full of adders ever been used as a form of torture or execution. There's just no record of this. But it probably sounded good to somebody in Scandinavia where there aren't any snakes. It's like, oh, these evil serpent things. Yes, let's let's have the hero killed that way. It sounds kind of perfidious and evil. And it makes the Northumbrians sound even worse. So a great bit of propaganda there, a bit of culture going on there, but not any actual history. So we have to be careful with this stuff. So in the anime, we have Thorskill and his father... He has to flee from Norway to Iceland because there's been some murders. And then Thorfil, eventually his father gets caught up in other stuff and is killed. And Thorfil must avenge the father. There we go. There's the anime death. By Grabthar's hammer, by the sons of Morvan, you shall be avenged. And then he goes on this big epic journey. This is a bit like the saga because Thorvald Asvaldsson, he's the father of Eric the Red. And he ends up having to escape Norway because there's been some murders and he eventually dies. Obviously, that's going to happen anyway. And Eric the Red is another one of the key characters that goes to North America. I just love the fact that Leif Erikson, who is a character in the anime, he's not perhaps the main character, but Leif Erikson's a fascinating guy, really interesting in the sagas, but not as interesting as his sister, who on one of the voyages, there seem to have been six voyages, we can't in any way verify that, on one of the voyages his sister goes along, she's pregnant, and she ends up fighting Native Americans bare-chested and pregnant, and wins. So that's an example of a shield maiden, which, again, there's been evidence, including North America, of women being buried with military equipment, warrior equipment, shields, swords, armor, that kind of stuff. So that's remarkable that we've got evidence of shield maidens, which we thought for a long time might just be a part of the saga. In essence, a version of the Valkyrie being turned into part of history. Valkyries are the warrior women who carry the dead to Valhalla, which is one of the most heavy metal sentences I'm ever going to say, okay? But, like I say, some of the saga elements absolutely start getting involved in real history. 
One of the key people, which I mentioned right at the beginning, is Olaf Tryggvason. Olaf Tryggvason, Makoto Yakamura, was one of the people who was really inspired by him. He was a leader. He was a king of Norway. And his son, this is one of the reasons why I love the Vikings. I mentioned Eric the Red. But there's my favorite Eric is Eric Bloodaxe, who was the last king of York. It was interesting that the people of York would rather be independent under a pagan ruler with a name like that than actually be part of the Kingdom of England with the Christian kings where their power base was further south. Fascinating stuff. But you've got Olaf Tryggvason. His son is Sven Forkbeard. I'm really not making this up. And the critical thing with Sven is in the year 1000, there's the Battle of Svolder, which is where he starts gaining more land. And under Sven Forkbeard, he captures most of Norway and most of Denmark as well. And then he comes to England. And one of the most amazing things in the Vinland saga, spoiler for some history that's 1,020 years old, is in the year 1002 AD, the King of England is Ethelred Unred. Known throughout history as Ethelred the Unready. Ethelred Unred is the Anglo-Saxon. It basically means the same thing. Ethelred, if you translate that, means good or wise counsel. And Unred means bad counsel. So he's good counsel, bad counsel, because he was a terrible king of England. Again, this is where you get people getting very het up about Charles III and say, oh, he's the worst king ever. Well, listen to Ethelred the Unready, which always sounds like a funny name. I'm about to be very unfunny. Ethelred had a problem of these Viking attacks, which had plagued Britain and most of Northern Europe for about 200 years. And so England was one of the richest nations in Europe at that time. So Ethelred came up with the idea of Danegeld. The Danes and money, gold, gold for the Danes, Danegeld. And so the, the Vikings turned up, they started rampaging. He would go to meet them or his, his scouts would go and meet them. And basically they were given tens of thousands of pounds weight in silver to just go. Now, if you were to do that once, that buys you time to then build up your navy, create special fortifications called burrs. These things are being created by Alfred the Great, so-called, about 150 years earlier. And what's interesting is the Vikings were hit and run. If they turned up, the first recorded events of them doing one of these hit and run raids is in 793 when they attack Holy Island, Lindisfarne Island, where there are monks on an island. There's zero resistance, but there's wine, communion wine, and there's gold crosses and things like that. So what an easy hit and run. And the Vikings were always doing that kind of stuff. They didn't want to fight whole armies. They didn't have the equipment for that. The famous weapon of the Vikings was the axe, which is simply a cheaper tool than a sword. It costs more money to make a sword and uses more metal than an axe and an axe head. The Vikings basically were coming from impoverished nations, which is why they kept attacking these rich places like France and Britain, and England in particular. They didn't want to have pitch battles, and they certainly didn't have the wherewithal to attack walls and fortifications, so the Burrs were a pretty simple wall 
around a village with nothing else around it. So it was a fortified village. And Ethelred the Unready had allowed this to collapse and rot away. Most of the walls were wooden for the record. And so he could have spent time rebuilding those or building up the navy, which sort of was started by, again, Alfred. But no, he did nothing. And so a few years later, the Vikings turn up again. Rampage, he turns up, gives them more money and more money and more. So the amounts are going up. The Vikings are realizing all they have to do is turn up, wave their axes around, wait for a royal squire to turn up and give them some cash. And then they go back. Who wouldn't do that? It's a form of national blackmail that's going on at this point. And Ethelred, in the year 1002 AD, loses his cool. And he decides that the problem was that there'd been Danish settlers in England and the area to the north and east of the country had become known as the Dane Law, the Law for the Danes, a slightly different political and legal judicial system than the rest of England. And he declared the St. Bryce's Day Massacre. Now, exactly how many people died in the St. Bryce's Day Massacre is unknown. I would think most historians hope that this wasn't a whole-scale massacre. The actual evidence for it is kind of hard to find. And I'm going to say it is to Britain's credit that it's very rare to have a monarch actually say, let's carry out a massacre. Massacres have happened in British history, in various other countries. Sorry about that. But most of them were spur of the moment, or a general that's gone crazy, or over-ambitious, etc., very rarely in British history do you actually have a monarch saying, kill them all. But that's what Ethelred asked his soldiers to do in the year 1002. And this is actually portrayed in the Vinland sagas. And it was a trigger for Sven Forkbid to not only raid England, but to now invade England. The last thing you want to do is give a Viking king an emotional reason to do some attacking because Sven could say, I'm protecting my own people. Now, for the record, some of these people had been there for maybe five generations. Look back five generations to your family. Are they all English or American or whatever? Probably not, but you feel pretty much of the country you live in right now. So this is just a huge stain and it, suddenly it turns Ethered the Unready into something comical, into something far more sinister. And one of the people who was killed in it was Sven Forkbeard's sister. Mm, not a good look when you're killing the King of Norway's sister. Oof. And so Sven invades and Ethelred's just rubbish. And he basically runs off and he runs off to France, goes into exile. His son is Edward the Confessor. And the reason why he was such a mediocre king himself is because he was brought up outside of England, not in the monarchical environment. He was never expecting to make a comeback. But that did happen later. That's not part of the Vinland saga, either the sagas or indeed the animated series, the anime. So Sven captures England but he's only king of England for five weeks because he then dies. Now, we just don't know why. Some say he fell off his horse. Other people say he was murdered. We just don't know. Obviously, five weeks. It could have been food poisoning. We have no idea. But that means he is a very short-lived monarch. And his son, Canute, becomes king of England. Now, Canute is very much a Christian. And he ends up, he's got a brother who's also running Denmark, but he ends up conglomerating 
all of this. He ends up ruling England, Denmark, Norway, Iceland. So when you look at that and encompass the North Atlantic, that is a mighty Northern Atlantic empire that he's created. And Canute is again in the anime. What's interesting about Canute is probably the one thing everybody knows about him is sitting on a chair and getting his feet wet. That's really unfair. That's not actually what happened. What the real story is, is he was surrounded by fawning courtiers saying, oh, you're great, you're amazing, oh, you're just the best. And he actually said, no, there is nothing more powerful than the Almighty, than God. A sign of his piety, of his Christian piety. And to demonstrate this, he took his throne out to a beach and he showed his courtiers the limitations of his power by commanding the tide to go back out and he ends up getting his feet wet. So the story, which is remembered as his vanity, is actually a story of his Christian piety. It is highly likely that this is apocryphal at best. It's highly unlikely it actually happened for real. But it's another example of how things get misremembered. And going back to the Viking ships, of course, if you've got a Northern European and Northern Atlantic empire, the best way to get between Norway and England is ships. So the Viking longships are hugely important. And the Viking Ship Museum, as I said in Oslo, the Gokstag, including the Gokstag ship, this amazing 9th century ship is, I, I'm not going to do it in feet, sorry guys, you're going to have to convert it for you yourself, but it is nearly 24 meters long. And the central beam all the way down the ship is one solid piece of oak. It is carved out of a single tree, which shows you that there's kind of a limited length of what you can do with these ships. And that's about as long as you can make it. Same with the mast as well. And it's about five meters wide. It could carry 32 oarsmen. And it had a square sail, which no longer exists, of about 110 square meters. This is a big ship. And the amazing thing about the Viking longships is they were sturdy enough that they could cross the North Atlantic, which is rough seas. Just ask the Titanic a thousand years later. We still hadn't mastered the North Atlantic. And yet they were able to sail onto places like Iceland and Greenland and North America in these ships. But because they were so shallow, it allowed them to go up things like the Thames Estuary or down the Dnipro River. They founded Kiev. I've said that in another episode. They are one of the great pieces of travel technology ever invented in the world. And Knut needed this to keep his empire homogenous. The other thing is, it's tempting to think that Knut spent all his time in England. He absolutely didn't. He separated his time in different areas. He had other things to worry about. But I once read, and I love this idea, that if you look at England in particular for, let's say, 1100 years, it's the story of whether Northern Europe or Southern Europe have a sway over England. So when the Romans invaded, in properly invaded and stayed under Claudius in the first century AD, now we have the influence from the south, from Rome, which is obviously south of England. You can all work that out. When the Romans 
the Roman civilization collapsed in England. I'm not going to say they all left. It's far more complicated than that. Romano-British, it was a thing, and they didn't all leave. We then get the invasion of the Germanic peoples, the Angles, the Jutes, and the Saxons. And these people came from modern-day Germany, lowlands, and Denmark as well. These were pagans. These introduced Woden, which is the Anglo-Saxon name for Odin. So England went from being basically Christian to basically pagan. As always, it's a bit more complicated than that. And so we now have influences with Northern Europe, which are then reinforced when the Vikings invade. And so you've got, let's say, six, seven hundred years of Northern European culture, art, religion in some cases, influencing England. And then we've got 1066, we get William the Conqueror, William Duke of Normandy coming over and conquering England. And now again, you get Southern Europe, you get France, the feudal system, you get the papacy. They were already involved by then Anglo-Saxon England had become Christian, but it's another route. It is interesting that when William the Conqueror came to fight the Battle of Hastings, he took with him a holy banner from the Pope, which was news to the Anglo-Saxons because they all thought they were pretty Christian and in with the Pope as well. But it shows you that there is this flip-flop between these two different types of culture and geography. And this is shown beautifully in the anime. I absolutely recommend you give it a go. I absolutely recommend you give it a go in English. And I hope that's given you something different to look at. As always, another episode coming soon.